Welcome back to another episode of Money Talks. I hope you're doing well. Remember, we are connecting business experts, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to you, the small business owner and entrepreneur, and delivering actionable advice. Today, super excited to have my guest, Noble Jutricone. Noble has been involved in multiple tech startups as a consultant, investor, and director in the early days from paging to full digital cellular networks. He has spent several decades advising and being an investor in, in the venture world. In today's episode, we discuss Noble's background, how he has started a business to help fund and direct startups, and his overall view for the venture capital world. We hope you enjoy this episode. Noble, welcome to the show. Super excited you could join us today, and I really appreciate the time. Hey, nice, nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, maybe just give our, our audience a little bit about your background to start. You know, uh, it, it's a, I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> I started off uh, in the investment industry when I was 17. I became, uh, I left home, you know, I graduated high school early, and I became an assistant to a broker uh, is at Smith Barney. And uh, I was just doing grunt work, and he got me on the phones initially just to prospect. And uh, then I got, ended up getting my license when I was 19. And, uh, and I tell people, you know, if you watch the movie Wolf of Wall Street, I didn't participate, but I was definitely going in those rooms when I was a kid of those type of closers, you know, well-seasoned. And there was just a style back then that uh, wouldn't fly most of the time today. Yeah, yeah, no question. That's super. And then talk to us a little bit about how kind of how obviously you've spent a, a, a great deal of time in the venture capital world, building businesses, helping finance businesses. Maybe talk a little bit about how that kind of segued into that world for you. Yes. So, you know, for 28 years, I've been in the investment space and, you know, I've written seven books on investing, uh, winning the trading game, trade like a pro. Uh, I've I, been sent to uh, Romania, foreign countries by the U.S. Agency of International Development to speak on risk management and trading. And, you know, my background has always been in the finance side. So informally, I'd always kind of help companies, whether they're doing, you know, at the time was just a regular 506 before the Jobs Act, which were private placements. And the only way you could get your private placement funded is if you were attached to accredited investors. Right. Mind you, you know, I've been on Fox Business News. I've written articles for Forbes. I built a database of about 100 to 125,000 accredited investors who had either bought my books, seen me on television, uh, you know, read my articles from Forbes or when I was editor of Futures Magazine. So I just accumulated a database. So informally, I would help people because you had to have a prior relationship. You couldn't just go out and solicit credit investors, you have to know somebody who knew somebody. And that's kind of how that began initially of me just helping people and, uh, and making the introductions. Yeah, that, thank you for that. Maybe talk a little bit about how, about the Jobs Act and in that provision, because unless you're really kind of entrenched in this world, you, you're really not familiar. Most people aren't familiar with how significant of a change that was and what that's kind of led to. So maybe just and in, in, I guess educate you know our viewers on exactly what that is and, and its ramification. Yeah, so I, you know I have a meeting next week with Start Engine, and Start Engine did a really good uh, a form yesterday. I don't know sure this airs, but you know this week, uh, and it was all about black founders who are taking advantage of Start Engine, 
And it was a good discussion because a lot of these founders, one, you know, Isaac Hayes, the third, you know, everyone knows Isaac Hayes, the singer, uh, he set up a project on start engine and all these founders were talking about how difficult it's always been to find capital until the right. jobs act showed up. And, you know, you go to meet people, you, you know, you, whether you, who your pedigree was and where you were from, if you didn't know the right guys, you weren't going to get investment people, you go to the VCs, you go to, and, and it's not, and it's an ecosystem that's designed to keep everybody out. I talk about to people all the time. It's not just, yes, not many black founders get money. Not many women founders get money, but let's look at the ecosystem. Almost nobody gets any funding. You know, it's like 97 or 98% fail rate for anybody of almost any ethnicity going through that gauntlet to raise money. Right. Uh, some people get over a little bit more, but the, the system itself isn't that great. It's, it's a broken system. So when the Jobs Act popped up in 2012, it just gave so many more, you know, uh, ramp ups and, 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 and off ramps for people to be able to raise capital in different ways. So you have things like Star Engine, which created the, it has the CF designation, crowdfunding designation, which you could raise a million dollars from the public, general people who right. could put 50, 100 bucks in. And now, you know, the SEC is talking about going from a million because it's really not enough to five million. Five, which is, right. um, the definition of accredited investor was very, very strict for a long time. You had to have a million dollars in assets that did not include your home. And you had to have generated between 200,000 uh, a year uh, at the, the two of the last three years, or if you're married, 300,000 uh, of two of the last three years. And that was it. Well, the credit investor rules became a little bit softer in which professionals and, and, and new interpretations are coming out of what really a credit investor really means in today's day and age, right? Can you exclude or include them? So the SEC recognizes it. Uh, if, for finders, they tried to, they, they've been developing new ways to get finders to help people get, get money into their businesses. And so the Jobs Act just changed a lot of yeah. the rules that were set back in the 1930s, right? And hadn't really been updated, you know, almost, you know, clearly 80 years later. Uh, and one of those significant changes was the difference between how the 506 uh, designation is broken up. The 506B allows, is really what functions as the original 506, where it's accredited investors, but you can't advertise, you can't market, you can't promote. And so it's usually, you know, friends like you, you and acquaintances that we probably know where we say, hey, I got this offering. Do you want to be a part of it? And you raise the money, you do your filing posts, raising the money just to fit compliance, and then you're done and you never market or promote it. Well, the 506C, and this is one of my favorite ones for startup founders or even people uh, who are entrenched because we work with public companies who just need additional capital. 506C allows you to advertise and market and go solicit people who are accredited investors. As long as they're accredited investors, you can advertise, you can promote, and you just turn down anybody who's not or set aside a list of people that you might come back to. Right. That's a huge change, being able to talk about your deal on the radio, be able to talk on a podcast, be able to advertise. Right. Or, you know, book is the number one place people raise funds from nowadays to be able to tell people that you have a deal and then be have the discretion to separate, okay, you're accredited, you can be in, you're not accredited, but they don't have to have a personal relationship with you. That's like, that's light years. It's a light year move. Yeah. And there's no, no question. You, you've seen that manifest itself because the, the world of venture seems like it's on fire, um, especially over the last couple of years, but definitely in the last 12 months, uh, you know, clearly COVID, you know, hit the gas pedal on innovation, um, getting, you know, or, or, or sparking people to get startups going. 
um, at a speed that was was never possible, uh, as you said, uh, you know, even year, just a few years ago. So well, it's, it's, well, look at it. You know, people on private placements, more money has been raised in private placements than in the public markets. One point seven trillion was raised using private placements. And the public markets are struggling to figure out where they fit in a world where right. people have done cryptos and ICOs. People are raising funds by selling tokens, not actually equity. People are doing uh, uh, private placements and doing Reg A pluses before they ever even go public and raising, you know, doing their A through E round completely off balance sheet and then maybe doing an F round before they even try and go public. I mean, all this stuff is happening before people go public. And some companies at some phase realize maybe we shouldn't go public. Maybe that's right. The, yeah. You know, yeah, I was just, I was going to say, you saw the new rules, right? The, the SEC is like, okay, we're going to make it more streamlined to even go public and less expensive so we can attract people to go public. Yeah. I was actually just going to ask you to that, to that point, because it seems like uh, as, as many people know, you know, there was legislation put, put into place, you know, almost two, de- two decades ago, which really made it very, difficult or, or even wanting for private companies to want to go public uh, based upon Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, so yeah, to, to your point that, you know, there's so much money that's being raised in the private sector or in the private placement area. Um, you know, why do they want to jump through all the hoops necessarily of going public? And, and that's why SPACs evolved, right? SPACs are literally money in search of a deal. So you're right. making a public company to go buy find companies that are willing to go from private to public. I mean, you know that there, there's an issue, you know, blank check companies were, were completely bashed throughout the 80s. And you can call it a SPAC, you can call it a frack or a Jimmy John. It's a blank check company. You got cash to go invest in a company that doesn't, that is nowhere yet. And that's was completely, you know, a, a no-no on the street, right? It was completely right. Wall Street looked down. And now people are raising billions of dollars for their SPACs. And it's and it's 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 hilarious that they're trying to entice people to come to the public market. I, I the last thing, thing time I heard that comes, the companies that SPACs buy out, they're paying almost a twenty five to thirty percent premium to acquire them to be in the SPAC as opposed right. to what would happen in a private sale. That's ridiculous. But that's what's happening. The Canadian right. stock exchange has has gone off like gangbusters because they've made the rules very inexpensive to be on. And because in Canada, uh, marijuana is legal, right. companies are able to, marijuana companies are listing and uh, derivatives of marijuana companies are listing there. TSX, uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange, made it super inexpensive to join and sign up. So the, the barrier of entry is low. And, and I think on the Canadian Stock Exchange, you can start a SPAC for like $150,000. Now that doesn't sound inexpensive on the face of it, but realistically, it, it, to, to get a, an offering on, you could be spending half a million to a million dollars to get an offering done if you want to be on NASDAQ or stocks, on the New York Stock Exchange. Right. Thank you for that. Talk a little bit about, you know, obviously we, you spent a few minutes talking about the 506, uh, you know, legislation, yeah. how, how that's helped you, I guess, help others, so to speak, because that's a lot of what you do now is trying to help incubate and, and you know, support and help construct these startups and these entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, so in the beginning, uh, like when, when, when I did the transition, I started the 506 just for myself. We had I'd come up with an idea to get a patent on augmented reality and uh, combine it with merchandise. And so, you know, we've done successful Kickstarters on it. We started putting it out. 
But the people that were participating in the cohorts with us at the different you know, acceleration incubators, they found a hard time just dealing with the angel VC route. Right. And so we became an easy off-ramp because I said, look, I don't guarantee we're going to raise you a bunch of money. But what we can do and what I've done my whole life is I can put you in the room or in contact with people who have the capital to invest with you because they're accredited investors. And with the 506C designation, you can reach out and talk to them directly. You can right. cut out all the middlemen and you can talk directly to them. And so we created a call center to just survey accredited investors to see if they like different projects. It's gone off like gangbusters. We have anywhere from any given time, we have five to six different companies who we are consistently providing two to four leads a day. Wow. Uh, people who are interested in their project, that doesn't mean they're going to close two to four. I tell people you might close 10% of them. But the difference between what we do and what most people do, the true value is that every day you have an opportunity to talk to an investor. That's not the case in most scenarios, particularly when COVID hit. Nobody's going to meetup groups or, or, or mixers to meet investors or, or, you know, and the idea of flying somewhere and being stuck in quarantine to go talk to investors, that's not what's happening. And so you right. have really the internet, you have uh, uh, chat rooms, you have some direct online advertising, but a lot of that stuff is highly passive. You're hoping to kind of catch a fish. Whereas, you know, our team actively calls through a database of investors uh, right now, our database is about 800,000 different accredited investors Wow! For people to find the right people who match what they need to do. doesn't mean they're going to get everybody. You know, our teams will call 600 to 1500 people a day on some projects just to find that two to four who say, yeah, send me more information. And so I explain to people what we do is really, we take absolutely cold leads and we make them lukewarm. It's your job to really get them hot, but we at least are putting you in front of people who can afford your project, know a little bit about your project and are eager, interested to learn more. Yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, that's great. That's an invaluable service. You know, there's just so many positive pieces that, uh, that have come together over the last few years to really kind of start up and help to foster this wave of innovation that's going on in, um, in this country. And it's, it's great to see, and it was great to see how many people really kind of dug dug in last year when times obviously were very difficult. And now you're starting to see kind of the fruits of their labor. I'm very lucky. I'm fortunate to interview people like yourself and other founders who literally got companies, you know, started and off the ground um, in months last year and and then got and got and our got series A raises earlier this year and the last year and have yep. really benefited. Uh, you know, from 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 what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely the same. You know, we, we work with mining companies, I mean, gold mining companies. We work with uh, 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 technical founders in the crypto space who are creating wallets. We work with people who uh, are doing new real estate syndications. I mean, because, you know, more people need housing than ever because, you know, and more people are transitioning their housing. And, and it's great to be able to help people find that sweet spot of raising capital. We have relationships with family offices. We have a relationship with uh, VCs. But it's good to have people be able to try and maintain as much equity as possible right. before they start going that route. And I just put up a, a post on uh, LinkedIn not too long ago, which I talked about how Mark Zuckerberg kept 25% of the company and how he actually skipped a few of the, the prescribed you know, it's usually A through E raises to leapfrog and maintain so much equity because he 
went early on for the capital he did, then bootstrap when it was necessary. Right. And drove to to the home base. What he was his goal was was to be public, all by not doing raise after raise to full dilution. You know, people have to be careful. And again, I post, I post another article about this on LinkedIn. The way the system is designed now, there's a lot of founders, but the rule is founders are no longer owners to be truthful. By the time you get through every single raise of dilution and your cap table is pushed out, you may end up with 3% to 4%. Right. Of and the, the problem with that is a lot of people prescribe this idea that, well, I'd rather get 3% of a watermelon than 100% of an orange, right? But what if that 3% is actually smaller than the orange? And, and that's kind of always been, you know, the, the part that a lot of founders kind of lose at the end. And there's a lot of disgruntled founders from the globe because I've been interacting with people from India. I've been asking people from uh, parts of Africa. Well, a lot of founders have built through this, this ecosystem. And not saying everybody's unhappy, but there are some that are happy that they realize that after uh, Series B, they became employees and they oftentimes are not even really functioning in their own company at the event. And some people just don't want that. They really want to participate and still be involved. Yeah, those are, that's really great that you offer. You're such a great resource and offer those you know pieces of information or those those uh, letters and and blogs, if you will, on LinkedIn because that's a really important point. And clearly, that concept. And I actually just had a podcast. We spent some time talking about this concept of equity that you were just talking about, and it's really starting to filter out more to the mainstream to you know the influencers and even professional athletes are now. Sm- smartening up and what or are already very educated and are asking for equity they don't mm-hmm. they you know they're not they realize that it's much more beneficial for them for the long term to own equity and not mm-hmm. you know get this cash payment if you will up front that there's much more to be gained and and over the long period of time by compounding their wealth can you imagine uh the next incoming you know so we had uh uh, an NFL player say that he wanted his paycheck given to him in Bitcoin, right? So yeah. can we imagine the next group that comes in and say, we want 5% of the team? You know, when we look at the the TV show Friends and how much money those guys have made, post right. friends, it was because they collectively bargained. Yep. And they forced the, the producers and the creators to give them each 1 million a week with the and nobody and nobody broke the line. They wanted to give Schwimmer more, but he, you know, he allegedly he refused. And no one broke the line. They collectively bargained a new agreement for both how much they were making weekly and what the post income was going to look like. So can you imagine if all the agents <laughs> of all the football leagues or all the basketball leagues got together one year and said, We're going to truly collectively bargain, not unionize, skip the union, but collectively bargain that every franchise has to give us two to 3% equity in the franchise that we're a part of now. That would change everything. That would literally set this whole thing in a whole new direction because that's what they're, that's what they're there for. You have someone like Tom, you know, Tom Brady, why the pay? And again, I don't, I don't know if you're a sports guy and I'm not a super sports guy, but what happened where the new England Patriots, after he built that entire franchise, refused to just give, I mean, the check that they were, he was asking was like 50 million bucks. You and I, that's an astronomical number. But realistically, he made that franchise billions. 
TV yep. endorsements, fans in the seats, clothing, product, like one year contract for $50 million. That was like, it was like peanuts for them to send him away you know, and you skip politics, what you think about Brady, whatever. That right there was a horrible move on the New England Patriots part. When, when Kobe went to the Lakers, they said, you, we don't care what you ask, you will retire Laker. That should have been the move that the New England Patriots did with Brady. And if he asked for $50 million every year till he couldn't throw – his elbow gave out, they should have kept giving it to him because he was putting people in the seats. And then look what happened. He gets another ring. And that's an embarrassment on the franchise. That's not a, that's not a good way to end the franchise on the Patriots side. Yeah, I I I have a big I'm a big sports fan, and yeah, I I, I as much as I don't I don't like the Patriots, <laughs> I, I I I can't disagree with you. Looking at it from that business end, and and I think that more and more athletes are gonna you know, tell their agents, like, this is the hot, this is the deal that I want structured. I want a piece. But they've got to team up. You know, this right, only works right. when you, when you, when you You're do right. the friends model, when you do the friends model up until now, the, the power sits in, in the hands of the owners, owners the right. GMs. And so, you know, everyone goes on parade once a year and you're so lucky and you're so privileged to be a part of our system. When these kids are literally building the system up, you know, I know Marcus, I'm sure he's on LinkedIn all the time, Mark, between Marcus Ogden and his brother, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I just talked to uh, another guy who's a, a former football player. These guys have five and six year careers, and then they're stuck in the real world. Something they right. built their entire life to do. And now in the prime of their life, they have nothing to do. Right. It, it's, it's, it, it's not a fair system. So these guys are building these franchises, creating wealth, developing fandom, getting the love of the, of the space and it's become almost a parasitic, not symbiotic relationship. And I think that, you know, blockchain is making people think differently. People are thinking collectively social media for all the ills it has. It also gives us the good of where people are interconnecting. And this is, you know, to bring it full circle. This is why uh, the jobs act and raising capital and all this right. stuff. It's this collective idea that nobody really can do it alone anymore. It's not there. Nobody's really an Island. We can all kind of try and pretend, but it's, it's really not that way. There's too much information, too much things to do. There's too much. And that we need to really work in, in a cooperative way a lot more than we ever have before. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I think it's it's definitely come full circle. You know, as you're, you're talking about this idea of, you know, coming together with that friend's model. And I think you're, you're, you're there's no question you're seeing that manifests itself with this i always talk about this concept of democratization of of research and and in finance there's more and more people on twitter that have have made you know considerable sums of money in their life are established and they're now they're, they're, they're championing this that you know everyone should should have a chance or to understand and get access to this research that that you know the, the big guys have gotten access to you know, their other, their entire careers and why there's such a, you know, disparity of wealth in this country. And I, and I think slowly it's starting to happen like with, with blockchain and Bitcoin and like with these professional athletes wanting to ask for equity, these, this is, it, it, the, I guess you could say the genie's out of the bottle the because, bottle. because it's, it's, it's going to continue to, you know, well, this GameStop isn't going right to stop. Proved it, right. 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 Yep. Yeah. GameStop proved it. Yeah. You had in GameStop, you have on it's Wall Street bets, 
I'm a member. I've been watch tracking it, and they have another uh, a group for crypto too. Eight million people are on Wall Street bets, and this is what happens when you get a concerted effort. And it wasn't eight million people that invested in GameStop, but it was enough of those people on that website that literally moved the needle to the tune of five, six hundred dollars on a stock that was really defunct. Nobody, right. nobody's going out. You know, you know. Come on, Steam lets you download your games. I've been downloading games on my PlayStation and on my Xbox for four years now. Right, it, you, right. Know, you don't really need to go to a GameStop. <laughs> but, you know, the idea that they rallied and they focused and concentrated their efforts to push the stock. And then you have Robinhood shut it off. And, and it was the most lamest reason. I mean, you've been in the industry. They use the T plus three rule, right? The seller rule as a reason why they halted trading and the the and just yesterday they went and talked in front yep. of the of Congress. Right. And the best they could do was apologize. Maybe we shouldn't have done it. That there's no headlines about how they illegally stopped the trading. Right. It was there was no there's still there's no headlines. I don't see it on front page how Robinhood took it in their own interest to stop the trading, and that they are basically a front. For Citadel, that they were front, pushing all the trades, and Citadel didn't have the money to keep front running and shorting against what they were getting from Robinhood, and so it back it backflowed. And so you had Reddit in the in, there, you had them right. talking about the relationship with Citadel, you had Robinhood. I don't know. I I just think that that really was the biggest genie out of the bottle because my oldest son, he's he's twenty three, that was his whole group, and that's their whole set just day traders who are, are, are pushing and trying to push the envelope and trying to find a way because millennials, millennials, unless they have a huge outlier return, I live in Southern California. They can't afford a home. Right. Rent everything. They, they, they use Turo. They use, uh, you know, up until the pandemic, Uber and Airbnb, they, 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 they live a life of rental in which every month they're subscribed to something. And that means they have nothing left over to save. And right. then they don't have any opportunity for upward mobility. So they need these outlier opportunities. And so that I, I predict there will be more, but you know, who knows where it's going to come from. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you're, you're, you're dead on that. There's, there's going to be more of this to come. Uh, obviously the most notable is, is, is Bitcoin and what, and what it <laughs> continues to do. Uh, seemingly dollar market cap today. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean on a seemingly, Come on. That is, as, as someone very intelligent that I follow said about a week or so ago on a podcast, it's, you know, it's a rejection of the dollar. I mean, that's, 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 that's what he said. I mean, obviously it was a much more nuanced discussion, but that was one of the lines that really stuck with me. And I hadn't actually heard someone say that word rejection, but again, that's what you're seeing some of this now. And that's part of, part of what we are discussing. And the scary part about this rejection of the dollar is that corporate America is now engaged in it, right? Tesla, yes. 1.5 billion. You have Stripe, PayPal, literally making systems for crypto. Right. You know, everybody is now 100% engaged. More companies are putting crypto yep. on balance sheets. You have, we have, and this is, and I try and get people to understand in perspective of what's happening. Web 1.0 was a complete failure, right? We had the collapse in 2000. Right. Companies left and right went out of business. Acquisitions happened. Pets.com, nobody knows where they're at anymore, right? <laughs> so they all everything disappeared. Web 2.0, they kind of figured out what, what the value prop was. 
get people to gamify buying. Right. We're in Web 3.0. Web 2.0 till now created a trillion, seven trillion dollar market cap companies globally, four of which which reside in the U.S. Right. This Web 3.0, which is all .com, all collective, all global at once, right? Because Bitcoin is global. It's global right. money. I don't got to go to a money changer. I can The Bitcoin I spend here is the same one I get in China and Singapore, the same one they take in Africa. I'm a global business day one when I take Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. Right. This, is, this trillion dollar market cap today is literally a reflection of where the global, an idea of a global economy is going to head. We're in the next probably, I don't know, three to five years, I would not be surprised if there's at least $20 trillion market cap companies. They may not show up on the New York Stock Exchange. They may be crypto-based, but it doesn't matter. There will be at least 20 plus trillion dollar market cap companies. Easy because it's global day one and they're coming with global solutions right. that we're all collectively participating in. And we're all collectively getting paid from. That's the crazy part. The new gig economy, and I tell this on, when, I'm, when, when I'm on other podcasts or, or, or channels, the new gig economy is gaming. And it's all forms of gamification because people will be earning tokens just for the stuff that you do in their right. daily lives. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That's uh, that was that was a great discussion there. The, uh, I always uh, I let always let the guests uh, give a get chance for the guests to ask me a question because I spent so much time uh, uh, asking them. So I you know I wanted to give you your chance to take the mic if you wanted to ask me about anything. Uh, it's it, the floor is yours. Oh, awesome! I love it. Well, you said you have three boys, right? And and as a man who has four four boys, I understand. What is the most I don't know how that happened moment that ever occurred to you with the three boys in the house. It's got to be like somewhere you're like, I can't believe like, really? Well, how does this even happen? <laughs> um, I, well, I think, uh, listen, uh, they're my, my kids are, well, my two oldest are 13 and 12. So, you know, they, <laughs> they have access to have not full access to social media, but they have, you know, they have access to it. And, when my oldest, you know, came up to me and said, you know, should we be buying GameStop? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, wow, this is really, I said, when I, when I, when he said that to me, I, I, I listened, he, he, he's very inquisitive. He, I've, I've just talked to him about, uh, about Bitcoin at length and he understands it. Uh-huh. So he's very into that. So I explained it to him. I like try to explain it to him and not, you know, you don't want to, completely dumb things down but I, I i explained to him you know what was going on i tried to obviously keep it somewhat high level but yeah. i was you know but it was amazing to me that that that's where we are in the world that my 13 year old was on i assume it was tiktok um <laughs> and and and, right? and and everyone and their you know and their mother about uh, two weeks ago whatever it was was talking about gamestop and that you should buy it and etc and Wall Street bets. So that that uh, that, that was a, certainly an interesting moment. <laughs> yeah, because your your ears perked up a bit. <laughs> yeah, needless to say, I, I did not do that, nor did I advise anyone to get involved. Uh, you know, I, that's uh, you know that was people were on their own with that one. Um, oh. I hope I I hope most people uh, you know made a little bit of stay. money. I, I know some people that did not, and uh, yeah, you know that's you that's how stay. that's that's that's. <laughs> You know that's being in a casino to some extent. So, 
but I no, always, no, you know, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. But I did, you know, I always, I listen, I, I always, as I said, I've been saying on, on numerous podcasts is, you know, it, it's not so, and we, you and I just discussed this. It's not so much about the fact that the stock went from whatever it was, five to 400, whatever the price. I said, it was about the why, right? It's about the bigger theme as to what happened when these people got together and did what they did. Uh, it, it wasn't about the stock price movement. It was about that they can make it happen. And it was about people saying, you know, we're, we have a voice and here we are. And, you know, this isn't going to necessarily be the last of this, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Well, thanks for having me on the show, you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So as we're kind of concluding here, maybe if you have uh, one piece of advice you'd like to offer, you know, entrepreneurs out there, um, thank you again for all your time and wisdom today. Yeah. I mean, if, if I have one piece of advice is we have to keep learning. You know, I grew up and I, I mean, I vividly remember how excited when I got a 9,600 baud modem for my 128 megabyte computer. And I thought that was like the most awesomest thing ever. It, 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 now, we, now I've got a, a computer in my pocket and we keep calling it a phone. It, it, and that's, you know, and it's not, but, you know, it is what it is. It, there's, a, there's a world that we're constantly learning and the people who stop learning miss out on Bitcoin. Yep. Yeah. The people who stop learning miss out uh, on GameStop because they don't even know where to find the information. The people who stop learning don't pay attention to uh, any of the crypto and understand finance and understand, like you said, a full-blown rejection of the dollar. People, people are not, and just to tap it off, I, tell, I, I used to believe it and I used to talk about it. Human beings are kind of temporally handicapped. And I, when I say that, it's like they, we really don't understand time. We really believe that because things are the way they are right now, somehow they've always been that way. Right. And they will always be that way in the future when realistically – Mutual funds are brand new. They showed up in the 70s, right? This is not that long ago, 40 years ago, maybe. And, and, they've, and for the most part, they've been a failure for most people. Uh, individual retirement accounts, all these things have, have not been the panacea compared to what pensions were before that. And so the generation before that were like, oh, pensions are the only way to go. And then everyone's like, okay, well, you got to save in your 401k and your IRA. But then inflation is eating it and Bitcoin right. is be, you know, and, and so there's, you have to pay attention and constantly be learning for now, right now about what the future is going to happen. Cause if you're not a futurist, it's going to run you over. There's, there's no way for any of us to, to, to make it. If we don't really, you know, I just logged on to telegram for the first time in like, I don't know, six weeks. The most time I've ever used it because what we're doing in NFTs, it's been around for years. But now I'm like, oh, all this great information. Like I just, right. like I discovered fire, right? Like in Prometheus, just constantly keep learning. And then that's going to be how people are going to be able to, to handle what comes next. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for being here. That's, that's why, you know, I, I created this, this podcast, just, you know, to bring people on like yourself and be a resource to others. And that was a really great piece of advice that, you know, we always, we have to be learning every day. There's so much information out there and there's a lot of, and, and it's available. It's out there. It's, it's, you know, there's not paywalls to everything anymore. So again, you know, great pieces of information here today. Thank you for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. Remember to like and subscribe on our YouTube channel. And uh, this is Money Talks. Have a great one. Take care.